Good morning again. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter number 15. Seems appropriate that today on Graduate Recognition Sunday, as these students are making decisions that will affect their future, that we consider the subject of how to discern the will of God. Wouldn't it be nice to have direct daily guidance from God? You know, something like Israel had in the wilderness. They had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That's what I want. Never had to wonder if you had it right. If the cloud moved, you moved. I believe that every true believer wants to be guided by God's will. But often we have a difficult time discerning exactly what God's will is. Every Christian should want to know God's will for their lives because to be in the center of God's will is always the best place to be. It's the place to be blessed by God cared for by God, protected by God, provided for by God. But don't be misled. God's will is not a mystery. It's not something so vague that we'll miss it if we don't go through the proper steps. God wants you to know and understand what his will is. So I'd like to spend a short while this morning examining the variety of ways that the Holy Spirit uses to direct the paths of his people. Let's look at the four ways in which God gave guidance to Paul in the beginning of the second missionary journey. We see here a combination of factors that combine to completely redirect Paul's ministry. The first of those things we see is first direction from resistance. Verse number 36 says, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Well, Paul had a plan. The plan was very simple. You no doubt remember that Paul and Barnabas have just returned from Jerusalem. They have defended the gospel against those who would have forced Gentile Christians to first become Jews, adding circumcision as a necessity of salvation. The decision of that council was 
that Gentile believers did not have to be circumcised or to adopt Jewish ceremonial laws in order to be saved. Now, if the decision had gone the other way, evangelism of the Gentiles would have been effectively ended. But now, Paul can hardly wait to get back out on the field. He wants to go back to the places that they have gone on their first missionary journey, those places where churches have been established, and he wants to continue to encourage them to walk in the way of the Lord. Barnabas has a proposal. He says, well, that's great. I think we ought to do that. But Barnabas, the great encourager that he was, wanted to take along John Mark. John Mark had abandoned the team during their first missionary journey. And Paul says, no way. No way am I going to allow John Mark to go. And Barnabas was just as insistent that, yes, indeed, John Mark is going with us. He wants to give John Mark another chance. Now, we don't know for sure what caused Mark to go home during the first missionary journey. I think it was probably a combination of things. The harsh reality of missionary life, homesickness, change in leadership from Barnabas being the head of the team to Paul being the head of the team. But whatever reason there was, Paul considered it out-and-out desertion. Now, Luke is very honest as he gives us this report of a clash between two of the most important Christian men of that day. And it's not a pretty picture. I wish I could report that Luke told us that both men repented of their anger and they sought the forgiveness of the other, but he doesn't. So let's look at the consequences that we see in verses 39 and 40. First, we see that the old partnerships are broken. The contention became so sharp between the men, with both men insisting vehemently that they were right and so angry that they finally parted company. So who was right and who was wrong? Scripture doesn't tell us. I believe they're both right. I believe they're both wrong. Now, I've cleared that up for you. You won't have any problems. Our head tells us that Paul's right. Paul knows they need strong leadership, that they need people they can depend upon. But our heart tells us that Barnabas is right to give John Mark a second chance. What does this really tell us about Paul and Barnabas? It tells us that they are human, that even great men can disagree and disagree vehemently about what will be the right course of action. Now, we do know from reading the Bible that John Mark is ultimately restored, and even Paul recognized it when in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he asked Timothy to bring Mark along with him because he was useful for the ministry. 
I think it's important that we recognize that no Christian is beyond the hope of recovery. If you made a mistake, a bad mistake, there's still a road back to usefulness. Not only are old partnerships destroyed or broken, new partnerships are born. For now, Barnabas and Paul part ways. Barnabas takes Mark and left for Cyprus, while Paul takes Silas and begins his second missionary journey. Now, Silas was well suited for the work with Paul. He was a prophet. He was a member of the Jerusalem church. He was a Jew, and he was also a Roman citizen. This split between Paul and Barnabas seems to be on the surface tragic to us. But God in his infinite wisdom produced a miracle of grace out of this conflict. For now, rather than one team, there are two. Two missionary teams. God can use unhappy, even perplexing failures to bring fresh purpose and direction in the lives of his people. Even when it is our fault, God can use our failures to bring us into greater usefulness. Secondly, there is direction from addition. Chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. And then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Paul and Silas went to Derby and then to Lystra the town where Timothy grew up. Timothy's mother, Eunice, is a model of the kind of mother who had to face alone the responsibility of the spiritual upbringing of her son. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he reflected on Timothy's home life. He wrote in 2 Timothy 1.4, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded in you also. Now Timothy's mother was a Jew but his father was a Greek. John MacArthur in his commentary on Acts suggests that the use of an imperfect tense verb here as he describes his father rather than present tense suggests that Timothy's father has already died. Timothy has been brought up in the Jewish traditions by his mother. And even today, Jews accept the person as Jewish if their mother is Jewish. Now, some commentaries are very critical of Paul because he circumcised Timothy especially on the heels of the decision of the church at Jerusalem. 
Paul had steadfastly refused to allow Titus to be circumcised, but Titus was a Gentile. And for him to have been circumcised, it would have meant they were adding circumcision as a necessity of salvation. But Paul did not circumcise Timothy so that he could be saved, but rather because he believed if Timothy was circumcised, it would show that he was embracing his Jewish background and he would be more effective in ministering to Jews. Since Paul still went to the Jews first in almost every city that they arrived in, to, for him to take an uncircumcised Jew into a synagogue would have been terribly offensive. Timothy's circumcision would remove any unnecessary obstacle, offense, in ministering to Jews. Timothy does become one of Paul's most trusted friends and co-workers. This young man grew tremendously. If there was a difficult job that needed to be done, Paul often sent Timothy. Timothy became a pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he was probably with Paul when he died. God brings people and opportunity into our lives to move us in the direction that he wants us to go. Third thing that I want you to see is direction through restraints. Now, when they had gone through Pergia and the regions of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to my Asia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them, and so passing my Asia, they came down to Troas. After strengthening the churches that they had established in their first missionary journey, Paul desired to travel southwest to preach at Ephesus, which was the leading city of that region at that time. We learned that Paul desired to go to Asia and preach the gospel in verse number 7. Now, <clears throat> It says, but the Spirit did not permit them. That raises a couple of questions, at least for me. Exactly how did he know that his plan had been vetoed? How, was he know, how did he know that God did not want him to go into that region? The Bible doesn't tell us. Was it just a lack of peace within his own heart? Was it difficult circumstances or transportation problems? Personally, I believe that it's interesting to consider that it may have been illness because Luke, the physician, joins the party at this time. In verse 10, you'll see that Luke now changes the narrative. All along, he's been saying they did that and they did this and they did that. And now he says... We did this, and we did that, and we went here. Secondly, how did these people know that the hindrances that we're talking about were from the Holy Spirit and not some other source, and really they needed to overcome them? Remember in the Bible that Jonah, for example, he found a ship sailing in the very opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. 
Discerning may involve addressing some very difficult questions such as, is this action scriptural? If I'm, the thing that I'm contemplating, is this scriptural? Does it help me to grow as a Christian? Is it something that's going to hurt my spiritual life? Am I open to this just because it's the easiest thing to do? Someone has said that knowing God's will is like driving in a fog. I know that doesn't sound very flattering, but let me explain. Knowing God's will is like driving in a fog in that he gives us just enough light to see the next few feet. And as we follow, he gives us the light that we need to keep moving forward. However God revealed his restraints, Paul then began to plan to go north to preach the gospel in Bithynia. Again, we're told, however, that the spirit of Jesus prevented him from doing that. and So Paul and his companions are actually being driven westward by continual closed doors. After receiving the negative direction to refrain from preaching in Asia and Bithynia, the missionaries moved westward until they arrived at Troas. And there they waited. They waited for God's direction. We don't know how long they waited. Days, weeks, months, we don't know. What we're talking about is closed doors. Closed doors may be called negative guidance, if you'd like. But negative guidance or closed doors keep us from going where we are not called in order that in God's time we might come to where God is calling us and will provide blessing. The fourth and final thing this morning is the direction through Revelation. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Finally, as Paul and Silas waited on God at Troas, they received the guidance that they were seeking. In verse 9, it says that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man begging him, come over and help us. The word translated come over is an interesting word because it's an imperative. An imperative means it's not a suggestion. It's not merely an invitation. It's a command. But they did not go simply because Paul said, I had a vision. Only after careful consideration does it say they concluded. The word translated concluded is an old Greek verb which means to bring together. When Paul and his associates considered the vision in the context of all that had happened, It all came together, and they knew that God was calling them to Europe. 
Let me conclude this morning with just a couple of observations, if I might. As I've gotten older, I've discovered that it's easier for me to look backward in my life and to see God's hand. And as you get older and you look back in your life, you'll say, oh, I see that now. What I couldn't see so clearly when it was present, I now see in my past how God has has directed me through circumstances and people to the place that he wants me to be. But I would like to show or share with you some signs that you can use to know if you are in the channel of God's will. First of all, is it in accord with Scripture? If it's not in accord with Scripture, it's not from God. God's will never contradicts God's word. Second, are the doors opening up? Or am I trying my very best to pry them open, even though I know it has been closed? I keep trying. Is it in line with my talents and my abilities and my inclinations? Number four, God can lead us in many ways, but we are more likely to be led if we are actively serving and communing with him. Don't expect God to call you into service if you are not presently serving. Fifth and finally, God's will is not something we find out in advance and then carry out. God's will is progressive, progressively revealed as we need to know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your direction in our lives to know that you love us, love us enough to not allow us to go off in a way that is destructive, that you even put things in our way to prevent us from doing those things that are out of your will, those things that would be destructive to our lives. We recognize there are times that we have ignored those. There are times that we have made decisions that were destructive. We have made decisions in which we know were not your will. But in your word, you've given us assurance that there's always a way back, that repentance and turning to you will allow us to come back to a place of usefulness. Father, I pray for each one that's in this place this morning. I don't know where they are spiritually. There are those I know who are saved. And for them, I just pray this morning that you would be very real to them. Some of them, although they're saved this morning, they're hurting. They're hurting because of circumstances in their lives, things that are going on great decisions that have to be made. And so, Lord, I pray that you would walk with them and give them the guidance and direction they need. There may be those who have this morning realized, you know, I, I don't have God's guidance in my life because I don't have God in my life. There's never been a time that I've turned to him and asked for forgiveness of my sins. 
Now, Lord, if there is such a one there this morning, I pray that they might understand that right here they can turn to you, simply acknowledge that they are a sinner, repent of their sins, and ask for you to forgive them, and you will. Help us, Lord, as we look in the future that you have a plan for our lives. Help us to look for your guidance, be open to your will. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.